How's everybody? So good to see each one of you. Did you all have a good Thanksgiving? Cool. So I'm going to try something different. So you guys, first service is always like my... Yeah. And then if I, if I mess up, then I get a mulligan. So... I just, I'm going to try and talk and do slides at the same time. So um, we'll see how that works. I need to do something. Oh, I need to turn it on. See? Okay, now what do I do? Aha! Let there be light. <laughs> So I want to talk to you this morning um, about something that uh, should really challenge us because it's something that every one of us in here has had to deal with growing up in our Western society. I want to talk to you about uh, perfection or imperfection, if you will. So let me give you a definition for perfection so that we all know we're talking about the same thing. Perfection or for something to be perfect means for it to have all of the required or desirable qualities or characteristics. All of the desirable qualities or characteristics. All of them. Right? So I was thinking about, and I think Jackie did this a couple weeks ago, but I was thinking about just this morning in school. You know, think about this. When, you're, when you mess up, they mark your paper, right? So when you get your paper and you look at it, what's highlighted for you is what was wrong. Now, your brains work in such a way, I'm going to go back to that. Your brains work in such a way that you foreground and background things. You understand what I mean by that? So when you're thinking about something, so if you're thinking about anything, let's say, uh, let's say you're spouse, if you're married, or someone in your family that you have conflict with, but you also really love, right? So when you're in love with that person, you're foregrounding all the wonderful things about them, and all the stuff that gets on your nerves, you're pushing into the background. When you're arguing with them, what are you doing? You're foregrounding all the stuff that annoys you, right? And you're pushing into the background all the stuff that you remember that you fell in love with that person, right? So do you see how your mind works? So you're actually trained from very early on to foreground by just looking at your paper that's marked up. What they're doing for you is they're foregrounding, they're bringing to the forefront of your mind what you did wrong, and they're pushing to the background of your mind everything you did right. Right? So, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not ready to go on yet. See? This is why I get to practice on you guys. So I'll tell you a story. This true story that a guy, uh, I have a book on my bookshelf. It's called Walking Between Worlds. It's written by a guy named Greg Braden. And he tells a story in there. He talks about a woman. We're going to call her Mary. He didn't give her a name. Um, and maybe I just picked that because it's Christmas time. So, <laughs> But uh, Mary, this woman, real woman, she, she had a uh, unique combination, an envied combination of beauty, athletic ability, and artistic talent. 
So she chooses a modeling career after she graduates from high school. And the agency that hired her was searching for a certain look. So she's beautiful, but she didn't have exactly the look that the agency was looking for. So trying to fit this look, she began a series of medical treatments to try to adapt. So first thing she did, ladies, was she had her breasts enlarged, right? And then she had certain nips and tucks around her waist, around her hips, still searching for that perfect look. So she decides she has a little bit of an overbite, so she decides that she wants to fix the overbite. So she goes through a procedure where they break her jaw and reset it and wire it shut, and she's got to go six weeks with her on a liquid diet. And, of course, she's already skinny because she's a model, so she loses more weight. So when she loses more weight, she looks in the mirror and she decides that because she lost weight, she didn't have exactly the figure that she wanted. So she decides there's another procedure that she can have where she has her floating ribs taken out. I think Cher did that. Um, So they do this procedure where they actually remove ribs to change the figure. And so as she's recovering from that procedure, she had become so emaciated from dieting. And she's like 24 years old. She'd become so emaciated from dieting and all the other stuff that she actually dies. All in the pursuit to reach what we might call perfection. Now, the interesting thing is that our Western society, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but our Western society is heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. And actually, since Augustine, since St. Augustine in the 4th or 5th century, Christianity in the West has been very influenced by Greek philosophy because uh, Augustine was a Greek philosopher. And so he introduced a lot of Greek ideas. He kind of merged uh, the Greek thinking of the day with the Christian thinking of the day. And he actually changed Christianity. And that's what we've inherited. And so, but I want to I show you some things where in our Western culture we think too much about perfection. Maybe. Look at our, um, our architecture. Our architecture generally is perfectly symmetrical. Right? How many of you remember Millie Vanilli from the 80s, right? How many of you remember them? What are they, what are they famous for? For lip syncing, right? Because the, the guys, I guess, are like good looking. At least they were in the 80s. I don't know. You know, that stuff changes, I guess. Um, and, uh, but they couldn't sing as well. And so they got other singers that weren't as good looking by any means. And they merged the two together to create the perfect music piece, and they actually won a Grammy Award that they ended up, of their own volition, by the way, giving to the actual singers because they got caught lip-syncing on MTV because their little thing got stuck in a loop. (laughs) It's hilarious to watch. It went like 16 times, this one phrase, over and over and over again on live uh, television on MTV, and one of the guys just couldn't handle it, and he just ran off stage and (laughs) sunk him. But anyway, so but they won a Grammy for the best new artist because we had kind of merged the idea of perfection there, right? Our advertising, right? You're you're after something is perfect. In fact, advertising works in such a way that it, it tries to create a sense of lack inside you because if it can create a sense emotionally, a sense of lack inside of you, it's why in your, your, it's why in your beer commercials you have like these perfect looking people because really what they're doing is trying to invoke that sense of lack so that from an emotional sense of lack, you'll want to go out and buy their product. 
What about our image of what we're supposed to look like, right? So you have the idea of what the perfect, uh, and I think girls, women maybe deal with this more than, than men, but then again, maybe not. Now, I don't know how that picture of me got up there. Julie just took that like last week, but. It gets into our ideas of religion as well. Uh, we, we misunderstand God as someone who demands perfection in our lives. And if we can't attain, if humanity can't attain perfection, then he sends you to hell. That's the foundation of Western thinking in Christianity. It's the whole, if we put that frame around everything, including the cross, and then we sing about it. <laughs> um, but as a result of that, because we think God demands absolute perfection, and we, we understand perfection from a Greek Western point of view, then we judge ourselves as imperfect. And because we think God wants to be violent towards us because we're imperfect, or that he needed a violent sacrifice or a violent death of his son in order to handle imperfection, then subconsciously what we do is we begin to justify all kinds of violent attitudes and behaviors and anger and stuff like that. And in the end, we end up being basically um, just unhappy. You know, I can't remember who it was that said, you know, we all live sort of quiet lives of uh, uh, desperation, right? So literally, through think about this, through our architecture, through our advertising, through going to school, through the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, um, the, the models that we see modeled of what is beautiful for us, through our religion, we literally in the West have become brainwashed to demand perfection from our lives. And as a result of that, we have a tendency to look at what's not perfect. We actually go through life unconsciously demanding perfection, which means that we're scanning our environment for what's not perfect, looking for what's wrong with something and then trying to fix it in order to get perfection. And so we, we look at what's wrong in our lives and we want something more. We want a better or a different job. Anybody ever been there? Not me. I love my job. I have the perfect job. We look for a different or a better partner in life, right? Because we look at areas where maybe they're not measuring up. We think they need to do better or something so we can have the perfect partner. How many of us look for a different or a better city to live in? Okay. I'm not saying if you move, by the way, that you did that for those reasons, but some people do. Some, some people don't move because there's something else on the horizon. They move out of bitterness because they're angry about where they're at. I've almost done it, so I, I just know that. Or how about this one? You look for a different or a better church? Uh, nobody here. But there are some empty seats, so... And worst of all, I think in our pursuit of perfection, we wind up expecting perfection from ourselves. And so then how mentally do we frame up ourself? How do we know and experience ourselves? Actually, what we end up doing is we end up, and, and you can't not do this. Everybody does this to a certain degree. But we end up sort of creating this false self, this false identity. Um, 
It's sort of this, we end up with this self that's sort of this creation of our social world. Um, it's sort of the person we embody as we seek to connect with others. It's our social self. It results from, listen, it results from our adaptive efforts that we deploy to conform to social, moral, or educational standards that we perceive or that are perceived in our society as being the norms. So we shave off parts of ourselves in our desire to connect. We shave off parts of ourselves in order to fit what other people expect of us. So actually, we end up embodying our way of being in the world. We end up embodying this self that's really not us. That's really the construct of the ideas of people around us. It sort of becomes the mask that we wear. Now, some people have the attitude, well, I just don't care what people think. And that's how they cope with that. And if you adopt an attitude that says, I don't care what people think, then you can't connect. And you were built as a social emotional being. You, you need connection. It was the one thing in creation, in the creation story that God said wasn't good, was that man would be alone. And so we end up trying to connect. So if you say, I don't care what people think, then you can't connect. But if you care too much what people think, if you care too much what people think, if you let the critics in your life begin to define you, then what happens is, is you end up connecting with people, but you don't feel emotionally connected. And that can happen at every level of relationship. It can happen in any context. You, you can end up trying to be what you think your family wants you to be so you can fit in with your family and not feel emotionally connected to your family. You can end up, if, if we demand too much from each other uh, in our marriages, then we can end up trying to conform to what our, our partner wants from us to make our marriage work, but then we don't feel connected to our partner because it's not really us. And it's in the Bible. I mean, uh, what, think about the story of Jacob and Esau. What did Jacob have to do in order to get his father's blessing? He had to pretend that he was Esau, so he had to put on a false self in order to connect and get a blessing from his dad and then spends his whole life dealing with the fact that at an emotional level he doesn't feel blessed. That's really the story of Jacob. Jacob never would have wrestled with the angel to bless him if he had felt blessed and he didn't feel blessed because his daddy didn't bless him. His daddy blessed a false him. And it speaks to our human condition. Now, the, the, the bad part of this is that in this inauthentic pursuit for love, for acceptance, for validation, we're on this unending, we end up in Western culture, um, in this sort of unending narcissistic pursuit for affirmation, validation, and admiration. If people don't constantly validate us, we feel offended. If people don't constantly accept us or admire us, we feel offended. And it's because we really we have confused our false self with our authentic self. Look at Nathaniel Hawthorne. This is a great quote. What he says here. He says, uh, No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which is the true. 
And so here's, here's, the, here's, here's, here's the other side of the coin. If you've got this social self, sort of this false self or this mask that you're presenting out in front of people, then what happens is, is you're shaving off parts of yourself and it actually forms a self as well. On the flip side of the coin. Some people call that self a shadow or a shadow self. It's all the parts of you that you've denied, that you've shaved off, that you've judged as imperfect or that other people have judged imperfect. And we sort of have this dumping ground inside of ourselves where we don't know what to do with that stuff, so we just cut it off. And some people are so cut off from it, they don't know it's there. Some people know it's there and they're tormented because they have sort of this dark side that they're wrestling with. Other people, it's, it, it, they, 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 they're so unconscious to their own shadow, they don't even know it's there. And those people are kind of dangerous because what happens is, is those people project. They project that stuff onto other people. So they end up accusing people of things that they themselves are doing that they're dissociated from. That the other person's like, I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. They end up getting a charge on people when really they themselves are doing the same thing. And so it's like we, we end up in this, this, really it's a mental pathology where it's okay for me to do it, but you do it to me, then I'm going to attack you. And it's enough. And here's the really sad thing. Until you come to terms with your identities, with your false self, and your authentic self, with the, the ideal self that you project and put out to others in your narcissistic pursuit of validation, affirmation, and admiration, and cut off from this other self, you're not going to feel whole or emotionally connected. So you can switch jobs, you can switch jobs, and guess what? You're going to attract the same kind of people to yourself. You can switch cities, you're going to not find abundance there. Because the problem's not out here, the problem's in here. You can switch churches and you're going to find the same imperfect people in that church as the last church that you left. You can switch spouses and end up with the same problems. <laughs> see if I left anything out here. Yeah. So let me tell you this story. Once upon a time, there was a man who wore seven different, seven different masks, one for each day of the week. When he got up in the morning, he immediately covered his face with one of the masks, and then he got dressed and went to work. And he lived this way without ever showing his true face. Now one night while he was asleep, a thief broke into his house and stole all of his masks. And as soon as he woke up, he realized what happened and he began to scream at the top of his lungs, Help! I've been robbed. Then he set out scouring every corner of the town in search of his masks. And the people saw him gesturing and swearing and threatening the world with the worst of disasters if he did not find his masks. Desperate and inconsolable, he broke down and began to cry like a child. And people came along and they tried to console him and comfort him, but it was no good. And finally, a woman passing by stops and she asks him, she says, what's the matter, my friend? Why are you crying so? And he looked up and he answered and choking back his tears, he said to her, they, they stole my masks and with my face exposed like this, I just feel too vulnerable. Take comfort from me, she said. I have always shown my face from the day I was born. He looked at her for a long time 
and saw that she was very beautiful. And the woman bent down and smiled at him and wiped away his tears. And for the first time in his life, the man felt the softness of a caress on his face. See, the, the beauty of that story is it takes authentic people to really heal people who are inauthentic. And unless you're willing to come out from behind the mask, on some level, not with everybody, you know, I'm not suggesting you do this with everybody, but unless you're willing to come out from behind the mask, emotionally, your heart's left unhealed. And see, God's kind of designed things in such a way that, you know, He just won't let you run from your own heart. So Jesus said this, you know, He said, if you judge people, what's going to come back to you? Is judgment. But he said also, if you're merciful to people, what's going to come back to you? If you give, what's going to come back to you? Right? So the reality is, is that, you know, the Bible teaches us very clearly that we attract into our lives what's in our hearts. So that whatever's coming into our life is actually showing us parts of ourselves and inviting us to come out from behind our masks and be healed. So that's why I said you, you can change jobs, but you're going to end up with the same jerk, just different face. Switch a group of friends, you're going to end up with the same friends because God won't let you just change something out here without cultivating and dealing with what's in here. Right? But, but watch this. But it's not, it's not that God's looking at your heart and saying, because if we're not careful as Westerners, you're going to hear what I'm saying and you're going to put that same mark of perfection. Like, like I've got to fix something or I've got to change something. And really, the answer is not... So like, so like if you're attracting things into your life, the answer is not you know, fixing what's wrong with you so that you attract something else. Actually, the answer is learning to greet life with an acceptance to understand that, that, that our idea of perfection is totally skewed. See, we get our idea of who God is more from philosophy and more from... Uh, yeah, really, Greek ideas and from our culture, we filter, we have these unconscious patterns built into us through architecture, through music, through, through Hollywood, through, through school. And so what ends up happening is we filter the Bible and we filter our understanding of God through those things so that our construct of God and our construct of who we are as His creation becomes the byproduct of a philosophy rather than getting our theology from actually creation and from, God, and from the Bible. See, if you believe that the first uh, doctrine of faith in the Apostles' Creed is that God is the creator of heaven and earth. The first doctrine of faith, the first thing we're taught about God from the Bible, is that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So if you really want to know your creator, you have to look at creation. So let me ask you this question. How many things can you go out in creation and find that fit? your Greek ideas of what is perfect. How many trees, the branches grow in a perfectly symmetrical pattern? 
And in the Bible, creation's not perfect. Creation is without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep. And even when God puts Adam in the garden, the garden's not perfect. See, we have this idea that the garden was this perfect paradise, but the garden's not perfect because God had to put Adam in the garden to, to till it, to work it, and to keep it, and to guard it. And then he said, expand it. So the only area that was even cultivated was the garden. And then outside of that, there's still there's just this chaos. And we judge that as being bad when God looked at it and said, it's all good. And so we just understand that we ourselves are His creation. And if we can somehow let go of our idea of what perfection is and understand there's actually, there's, there's really, there's beauty There really is beauty in imperfection. See, Jesus said this. He he said, Matthew 22, 8 through 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Now watch this. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find to bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, what if all of life is a feast? But we're so preoccupied with making sure we only have the good and don't have the bad that we don't sit down and enjoy the feast. Like we're so miserable because things aren't perfect that we can't enjoy the beauty of what we actually have. Like we can't look at something imperfect and say, you know what, that's beautiful. (laughs) Like we can't look at ourselves, the good and the bad, and say even the bad is beautiful. So you know what we do? We don't come to the banquet. I like this. Proverbs 11.27. Boy, we need to paste this one on our refrigerators. We need to memorize this. We need to confess this. Right? Anyone can find the dirt in someone. Be the one that finds the gold. You know, back in the story in Luke's account of the feast, Jesus invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the maimed to his feast. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the feast. If you demand perfection, if you demand perfection, you end up missing the feast. If you pursue perfection, you lose, watch this, you lose both the opportunity to heal and to be healed yourself. So when we open up and say we want to be a healing community, we're inviting imperfection into our lives. Because if people did right and acted right and did right and acted right and did what they were supposed to do and did what they should, ought and they must, there'd be nothing to heal. So let's don't sit around and say we want to be a healing community and then get shook up because imperfection shows up. If you pursue perfection, you risk, this is the worst part, you risk losing a heart-to-heart connection with the Master. 
Because he said, go and invite the crippled, the lame, the good, the bad, the crippled, the lame, the maimed, the broken. See, the servants didn't just... The people who have heart-to-heart connection with the Master, they don't just tolerate imperfection. They invite it in. Go and invite them to the feast. So originally the word invite meant to pursue with diligence and vigor. See, you, you can't invite what's maimed. You can't invite what's blind. You can't invite what's imperfect if you're not diligently pursuing it. And you won't diligently pursue it if you don't think it's beautiful. If you think it's ugly. And, and I realized something. You know, I, I just talking to the Lord and I, I realized something. You know, life is going to leave you crippled. See, I, I, I think the feast is life. I think it's just life. See, Jesus said this. He said, it's better to enter life maimed. It's better to enter life with one eye. It's better to enter life blind. See, a lot of people won't enter into life because there's pain there. A lot of people won't enter into life because, you know what, life will leave you maimed. You're you're going to lose stuff. You're going to lose people. You're going to lose situations. You're going to lose businesses. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose family. You might lose children. The the thing that you, you might lose hopes and dreams and desires. All those things are temporary and all those things are passing away. And so I've got news for you that's in the gospel. Life will leave you maimed. And half the time, you're half blind, you don't even know where you're going. So, <laughs> none of us has a crystal ball. None of us knows what the future is holding. We're all existing in the moment, wondering what's going to come around the next corner. So, But Jesus says this, it's better to enter life blind than to not enter life at all. It's better to enter life, even though it's going to leave you maimed, come to the feast anyway. Even though it's going to leave you crippled, come to the feast anyway. Because there, there's, there's lots of delicacy. And the Bible says God daily loads us with benefits. And, and and I, I sit there and I think, God, how can you say you daily load us with benefits when I know someone over here is suffering an incredible loss? How do you look at people in Kenya or when, when there's, inf- when there's you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of Kenya because I'm going to talk about it. You know, but there was, there was potential genocide a few years ago in Kenya. How do you look at people in Rwanda? How do you look at people in uh, Darfur? Say, God, what do you mean you daily load us with benefits? But see, it's like, it's like I understood something. It's like I grasped something. Like, even if you're maimed, come to the feast anyway. Even if you're blind, come to the feast anyway. See, when you, when you let go of this demand for perfection, you begin to enjoy the little things that you used to find delight in as a child, but you forgot about because you started chasing a Western illusion of perfection. So have this vase up here because this vase comes from the East. And in the East, they don't think like we do. They haven't been infected with Greek thinking to the degree that we have, except to the degree that we've exported it. But they understand this idea. They talk about the beauty of imperfection. And so when a, ves- when a vessel breaks, when, when there's cracks in a vessel like we see in this one, um, they actually they repair it quite differently. They don't try to restore it to its original condition. What they actually do is they take gold and they fill in the cracks with the gold so that they can honor the cracks 
so that they can accentuate the cracks, so that they can highlight the cracks, so that they can teach a lesson that the imperfections are actually what makes something beautiful. See, if you're too perfect as a human being, you're not really that beautiful anymore. So what would happen if we just accepted ourselves and said, you know, because here's the other thing, and I know I'm going a little bit over, but here's the other thing we do. I can't, I can't minister because my life's not right, or I need to get myself sorted out before I go out and, and talk to someone else. And that, that tells me you're seeing everything through this lens of right, wrong, good, bad, perfect, imperfect. And you think your job is to go out. You think ministry is going out and make other people live right. You think ministry is going out and making everybody perfect. And so you, you can't mess with other people's business because your business isn't straightened out or whatever. You're missing the feast. You know, I can't be used of God because I've got this issue in my life that I've got to get sorted out. You're not willing to come to the feast crippled. Well, I don't know enough scripture to try and share with somebody. You're not willing to come to the feast blind. See, what if, what if we just sat back and said, okay, I'm going to enjoy all the gifts. I'm going to receive and I'm going to enjoy all the gifts that life has to give. And I'm going to show up at the feast. I ain't perfect. But I have gifts. And if I expect that I can't come if I'm maimed, I can't come if I'm crippled, I I can't come if I'm blind, then I can't share my gifts. I'm so busy looking at the dirt inside myself that I can't even see the treasure that's within me. So I just want to invite you in this holiday season to... Challenge your thinking about God, about yourself, about life, and chill out. And stop demanding perfection from yourself and everybody around you. You know, look at the person that you like the least and say, where's the beauty in the imperfection in this person that I can't stand. And I promise you, you'll start to heal. And life it becomes good again. And the complaining stops. And gratefulness begins to flow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your peace. Lord, help us to break out of these Western idols. Come back to the simplicity of who you are. Come back to the simplicity of creation, the simplicity of who we are. Father, I bless each person that's here. I pray your healing presence would envelop every single one. Touch every single one. Speak to every single one. And allow us the joy of celebrating the beauty that is in imperfection. In Jesus' name. Amen.